grab your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 1 Samuel 26, and while you're turning there, let me just welcome you and uh, wish you a happy morning. I'm so uh, thankful to be in God's house with you today, and uh, let me uh, just welcome all those joining us online today. We're thankful for you, uh, as well as Reach Church DeSoto. We are uh, missing you today, but thankful uh, to be with you in this way. Do, do pray for Reach Church DeSoto this week as we have our Vacation Bible School. Starts tomorrow and runs through Thursday, uh, 6.30 to 8.30 every evening. So um, please, first of all, pray for us. The Lord would give us strength and stamina and just that he would continue helping us to fulfill the opportunity to reach the families of DeSoto with the gospel. But in addition to that, please um, consider if maybe you've got someone in your life who maybe was out of town for VBS here at Lenexa, maybe they could come and join us uh, out in DeSoto. We, we still have registration open. We still have availability. You can go to the website there at reachdesoto.com slash events, and you can get your grandkids, neighbors, uh, whoever you want to, signed up for Vacation Bible School, and uh, we would gladly uh, welcome them this week. But do please pray for us, uh, praying for big things this week out in DeSoto. Well, we're back in 1 Samuel uh, uh, this week, and we're in chapter 26, and it's a significant chapter. Um, we're going to see here in our text this morning the, the final intersection between the lives of David and King Saul. It's been a journey, hasn't it, with these two? Um, David, as we know, is on his way up. He is destined for the throne. He is the anointed king. Um, and God has been, has been making his man. He's been forming and fashioning his servant through many trials, uh, through many uh, uh, tough battles. And, and, and we're confident that God is, is making his king in his way. However, King Saul, he's on his way down. Because of his disobedience to God, because of the, the sinfulness of his heart, he is destined for destruction. And here in 1 Samuel 26... We have the last meeting of these two men, and so it is significant, and we want to pay attention to what happens here. Now, if you've read ahead at all, you know that uh, this chapter here sounds really similar to what we read in chapter 24. There, um, David is held up in the cave of En Gedi, and, and King Saul comes into that cave to, to use the restroom, you remember, and there uh, David is tested. He, he creeps forward there and cuts off the, the, the hem of the garment of Saul. In the background, his men are telling him to kill King Saul. And, and there immediately, David is convicted, and, and he makes a decision. He says, far be it from me that I would stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And so there in that cave, uh, David spares Saul's life. And even though this account here in chapter 26 reads and sounds a bit similar, I want to assure you this morning that they are two separate accounts in almost every detail. However, there are a few similarities, and the main similarity I want to convey to you this morning is that of King Saul. King Saul is unchanged. He's up to his same old antics. He's going to take the bait here from the Ziphites in verse 1, and even though we thought the matter was, was finalized, it was settled in chapter 24, here again, Saul is going to chase after David to kill him. But Saul is Saul after all. 
At the end of chapter 24 and verse 17, Saul says to David, surely you are more righteous than I. And here in chapter 26, he's going to prove the point once again. Saul is Saul. But really the question I want to extend to you this morning is, has David changed? Has his cave encounter at En Gedi, has chapter 25, his showdown with Nabal, his, uh, the intercession of Abigail keeping him from great sin, is what God has brought him through, has it changed his perspective at all? So keep that question in mind as we walk through the text this morning. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in here to verse 1. Father, I do ask that you would uh, be with me now, Lord, that you'd speak through your servant, that God, you'd speak to, to your people, Lord, that you'd open uh, just the doors of our, ho- our heart wide to receive from you, God, that you'd strip off maybe the, the layers of, of callousness that we have, um, that we find on our hearts so often. God, I pray you'd speak to us in an intimate way, in a personal way. God, that you'd challenge your people. Lord, you'd convict us. You'd encourage us. Father, do what only you can do during this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look at me in verse 1. Then uh, the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon? So Saul arose, and he went to the wilderness of Ziph, having with him 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. Now, we've got a couple familiar details here, a couple familiar characters. And the first one is the Ziphites. We first saw the Ziphites in chapter 23 as they once again tried to turn over David to Saul. They, they sent word to him saying, hey, the enemy of the state is hiding amongst us. Come get him. And I think they're hoping for a payout here, right? They're hoping to, to garner some type of favor with the king by, by turning in David. Unfortunately, they, they, they've chosen the wrong side. Now, what's particularly hurtful about this scenario is that you remember David is, is from the tribe of Judah. Now, also, the Ziphites are descendants from the tribe of Judah. And, and what we see here is that sometimes, and I know this is the case in many of your lives as well, sometimes when you step out for the Lord, maybe you're, you're following a calling in your life. Maybe you're the first member of your family to accept Christ and to step out to follow his will, and maybe it has polarized you within your family. Maybe you've been attacked by those closest to you, and what I want to do for you this morning is encourage you that as David will write in Psalm 27, even if my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. The Lord has got you, even if those closest to you are the ones who are inflicting pain in your life. Notice that David is going to push through here and be loyal to God even when those closest to him are being disloyal. Look at verse uh, number three. Saul camped in the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon, beside the road, and David uh, was staying in the wilderness. Look at this. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies, and he knew that Saul was definitely coming. Church, this is really the first indication that something has changed in the life of David. You remember when he got word from his young men that Nabal had refused to help his army with just leftovers. What was the reaction of David? 
in chapter 25 and verse 13, David said to his men, each of you gird your sword. We are going to war. We are going to inflict retribution on those who have treated us poorly. But notice, we don't see that here. We see a different man. We see a man who now is not being reactive. He's using much wisdom. And, and he says here, when he sees that Saul is coming, you see, 3,000 men with Saul, it was not a tactical move, okay? He, he's trying to win here by sheer numbers. He's got David outnumbered five to one. But the risk with that is that David would have known he was coming. And so when he hears word that this army has been mobilized, I'm sure David is questioning, I wonder what Saul is up to. Surely he's not coming after me. I thought we settled the matter in chapter 24. Even Saul said, now I know for sure that you will be king. So here we have David, I'm sure, with some questions. And notice he's being very wise. He's not being reactive. He's being very calculated. And he's going to see for sure in verse number four that they are definitely coming after me. Now, what I would have thought came next is David running. This has been his pattern, right? Saul comes after him. He's got him outnumbered. And what does David do? He flees. He picks up and he, and, and he moves to a different area. But notice verse five. This is not what David does in this situation. So David then arose, and he came to the place where Saul had camped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. And Saul was lying in the circle of the camp, and the people were camped around him. David isn't running. He isn't fleeing in this situation. And we have to try to ask ourselves, why could this be? Well, it could be, again, that he's learned something from chapter 25. It could be that the, the wisdom from Abigail uh, that, that she conveyed to him has encouraged him, I am the Lord's anointed. Uh, Saul cannot touch me. Why do I need to run from my enemy when God has proclaimed over my life that I am the next king? So it could be that he's learned something from this encounter. It could be that God has, has, has called him to go and to confront his enemy. It could be that the Spirit of the Lord moved in his life and said, hey, you're not running this time. This time you're going to confront the issue at hand. Or it could be he was simply just curious once again, is Saul really coming after me again? Could this really be a replay of what we just went through sometime earlier? Either way, David moves forward. Look at, look at verse number six. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Abishai, the son of, of, Zer of Zeruiah, Joab's brother saying, who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And notice Abishai said, I will go down with you. So right off the bat here, what we want to learn from, from verse number six is that we ought to be willing to go with the Lord's anointed. Listen, when the opportunity knocks on our door, when our number is called, we ought to be willing to step out in faith and say, God, I'm with you. Even if we're going into enemy territory, even if we're outnumbered, even if it makes no sense, humanly speaking, don't you know that we're operating according to a set of different orders? And it won't always make sense in the culture. It certainly didn't make sense to Ahimelech. And you know what? He was a Hittite. He was a hired gun. He was a mercenary. He was a part of this army because he was getting paid or because he loved blood, because he, he was just a part of this, right? We don't know exactly why. But we know this. He wasn't an Israelite. And when the opportunity came to be loyal to the, to, to the Lord's anointed, he said, I'm out. And guess what, church? We'll never hear of Ahimelech the Hittite again. 
but we will hear of Abishai. He'll be talked about several times here moving into 2 Samuel, and he'll be at David's right side for many occasions to come. Let me challenge you to be faithful, to, to follow the Lord when he, when he knocks on the door of your heart, and to follow him in faith, even in the midst of uncertain circumstances. Look at verse number seven. So David and Abishai, they came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the people were lying around him. Then Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now, therefore, please let me strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke, and I will not strike him a second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed? And be without guilt. You know, we see something taught to us here that is very helpful and very personal, something that we're all going to face. And it's that when we are brought into a time of intense temptation, how do we make our way out of that successfully? How do we overcome temptation without succumbing when the circumstances are ideal for sin? Remember, the Lord will not tempt you above what you are able, but he will bring a way of escape. And this is the second indicator that David has changed. He's able to see the end of the thing before the beginning, unlike chapter 25. He was blinded by rage. But here in chapter 26, he's not willing to go through with sin, even when the circumstances are ideal for it. Notice that Abishai said, hey, God's even in this. He was communicating to David, you've got divine approval to sin. And you say, Pastor Ryan, that's crazy. Well, listen, our culture in a lot of ways is telling us that we have divine approval to sin. In a lot of ways, we're justifying things that are counterintuitive to God's word. And it's easy for us to do it sometimes. Even Abishai is saying, listen, God wouldn't mind this. He's delivered him into your hands. We saw in chapter 24 that was not the case. Don't fool yourself by thinking that God is leading you to do something that is not in accordance with his word. Secondly, notice that Abishai said, it'll be quick. Listen, this sin's gonna be quick. I'm gonna stab him one time. I'm a good aim, so it won't take me two times. And I'm gonna do it for you. Listen, David does not relent. Thirdly, it was under the cover of darkness. Isn't it interesting how sometimes in seasons of night, in seasons of darkness, we are more tempted to do what was wrong because, because we think no one will see it. And it's true here. No one would have saw what happened. Abishai would have done it quickly. And furthermore, it would have fixed the problem. Saul was the biggest problem in David's life right now. And he could have been fixed with a quick strike of the spear. But notice, David does not give in to temptation, even though it had fixed a problem, even though it was gonna be quick, even though it was under cover of darkness, even though Abishai was saying God might be in it. Why? Because he knew that this thing was a sin against God and would bring guilt into his life. That is what he says in verse nine. How can someone stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt. 
We must learn from David that he is not running on situational ethics. He is running by principle. And those principles were established in his heart because of what God had brought him through in previous seasons. Church, don't be tempted to think that your trials and that what God has brought you through in the past has been for nothing. For, for the child of God, every day, every victory God gives you, even every failure, everything he brings you through is so that you can be more successful having learned that wisdom for the future. And you know what? Also so we can pass it on to those around us. What a privilege it is to be a part of a, a multi-generational church where you can pass on wisdom that God has given you and you can help someone coming on behind you who might not have yet faced the trial that you have faced. Not only that, but Psalm's gonna, David is going to record much wisdom for us in the Psalms. He's going to open up his heart to us, pour out transparency and wisdom to us, and we will be wise to listen. After all, church, it's not a blessing from God if you have to sin to get it. God won't lead you into sin. And it's a good reminder for us all today. Look at verse number 10. So David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. Notice, it's a completely different David from chapter 25. And I think it's the whole thing he's experienced with what God did to Nabal. He, 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 justified, he, he took care of David's problem. And now he has that confidence to say, you know what? Just like God struck Nabal, he'll take care of Saul. Perhaps he'll strike him and he'll die. Or maybe he'll just die of natural causes. Or maybe he'll go down into battle and he'll die there, and that's what would happen. We're gonna read in a few weeks of, uh, uh, of Saul going to war against the Philistines, and he's going to die there fighting the Philistines um, at Mount Gilboa. And now David is, is acting like a man of faith instead of a man of fury. In verse number 11, he says, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head, and they went away, but no one uh, saw or knew it, nor did any awake. How can that be? How can it be that these two men tiptoe into the, the enemy camp, not just on the peripheral, but right into the center of this enemy army and take two things from the head uh, of King Saul? How can this be? Well, the Bible gives us the answer to that. In verse 12, it says, For they were all asleep because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. You know, church, what this encouraged me with? The Lord's in control. The Lord's in control of big things and the Lord's in control of little things such as sleep. You know, I love what this conveys to our church today, that God is intimately involved in our circumstances. He won't lead us where he doesn't also accompany us. He won't send us out on mission for him and then fail us by not providing what we need to be successful. Notice that not only does, uh, does God keep his king asleep, but he does it so that he can keep his servant alive. God was going ahead of David, and I love that, that God is intimately involved in the details of our lives today. Listen, if that's all you get from here, be confident that he sees your goings and your comings. 
He knows the path that he has you on. And he is intimately involved in the details, working them out for his glory and for your good. Isn't that a good word today? I hope that encourages you. Look with me uh, now at verse number 11. I'm sorry, verse number 13. So then David crossed over to the other side and he stood on top of the mountain at a, at a distance with a large area between them. We have some biblical social distancing here, all right? Verse 14, so David called to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? So David said to Abner, are you not a man? He's saying, are you not the man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord, the king? For one of the people came to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, all of you must surely die because you did not guard your Lord, uh, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was at his head. So David's very, very wise here, very cunning. He's going to take the two things from Saul that would have penetrated. Listen, if he's not going to take his life, these next two things that he takes um, communicate something basically the same. The first thing is the spear, Right? So, so this spear that, that, that David was so uh, intimately familiar with, because it had been thrown at him several times, um, he, uh, he takes this spear that Saul had with him everywhere. This spear was, was, was the symbol of his reign. It was the symbol of his power. It communicated to everyone else Saul's right to rule, and David takes it. Secondly, he takes the water jug by his head, this was his sustenance. It was a symbol of life because what do you need in the wilderness? You need water. And so in doing this, David takes his right to rule. David takes his right to live. Um, and Saul isn't quiet about it anymore. Look at verse number 17. Saul recognized David's voice. And he said, is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, it is my voice, my lord, the king. He also said, why then is my Lord pursuing his servant? For what have I done? What evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my Lord the king listen to the words of, of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is men, cursed are they before the Lord. For they have driven me out today so that I would have no attachment with the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go and serve other gods. Well, what's happening here? David is showing unbelievable humility by once again, for, the, for a final time, he's pleading his cause before Saul that's been so hard-hearted. David's saying, if I've wronged you in any way, I'm, I'm willing right now to make that right. In fact, if I have dishonored God in some way with my interactions with you, I'm willing to make a sacrifice and get that right. But then he said this, if it's men, though, if, if this deceit and if this, if this pursuit to kill me is the result of men who have lied about me, notice he says they deserve to die. Now, why such a harsh condemnation for lying men? Well, David gives us the answer here in verse number 19. It says, because they have driven me out from the presence of the Lord. They've driven me out from my place of worship. This was David's grievance. 
Notice, if this was me in the text, my grievance is, I've not had a cheeseburger in, in months. My grievance is, I've had no, no soft place to lay my head. My grievance is, I miss my family. I miss my wife. Listen, my grievances are way more worldly. I miss driving my truck, you know? But to David, we get a picture of his heart. And what grieved him the most was he had been expelled from the, the land of inheritance. He wanted to get back to the place of worship, to Shiloh, to, to, to where people, where God's people gathered together in God's place and worship God's name. This is what grieved his heart the most. He had been out in the land of the heathen where all he saw was idol worship. You ever been driven out maybe on a, on a business trip or, or on a missions trip? You see things that you never thought you would have seen. You see people worshiping false gods, and it grieves your heart. And you can't wait to get back to the place of worship. And this is what David's saying. I've been driven out here with idolaters, and if this is the result of men, they are cursed because I want to get back to my place of worship. Verse number 20 says, Now then, do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Verse 21, Saul's response. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will not harm you because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have committed serious error. I, I, I underlined those five words in verse 21. I have played the fool. G. Campbell Morgan said that this is Saul's five-word autobiography. These are the words that define his life. What defines your life? Far be it from us that we would play the fool when we have access to live in a way that's otherwise. How did Saul play the fool? He was disobedient to God. See, I'm not playing the fool. Are you being obedient to God today in the smallest of details? Notice it was a small detail in chapter 15 that caused Samuel to say, God has taken your kingdom from you. He played the fool because he was disobedient to God. He played the fool because he tried to justify the wrong that he had done. Don't justify the wrong you've done. Confess and forsake your sin. And 1 John 1, 9 says that he's willing and able to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He played the fool because he was trying to work against God. Don't you remember what God said to, to Saul on the road to Damascus? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What was he saying? He's like, Saul, it's impossible for you to work against the will of God. And that's what Saul is doing here. He's working against the will of God. And you know what? It's futile. It's unable to succeed. A march against God is a march of unutterable folly towards final disaster. And look at David's response in verse uh, number 22. David replied, behold the spear of the king. Now let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord, now don't miss these next verses. The Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refused to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now behold, as your life 
was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all my distress. Then Saul said to David, blessed are you, my son David. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. As I studied this church, verse 24 became the hinge of really David's whole life up to to this point. You know, David and Saul, they've chosen two different paths. David's going up and, and Saul's going down, and it's because of the choices that they've made. And we get, again, some insider knowledge here into what was gonna cause David to be successful. Listen, even Saul recognized it. He said, surely you will accomplish much and prevail. You're gonna be successful, David, against everything I've thrown at you. You're gonna be successful. Why? Because he was living his life according to a different standard. In fact, he had entrusted his life to the Lord. He wasn't entrusting his life to Saul. He was not entrusting his life to any other man or man-made schemes or or any corporate ladders or any type of of man-made plans. He had entrusted his life to God, and that is what is going to bring him success. During this interaction with the Ziphites and with Saul, David pens a psalm in chapter 54. In chapter 54, it says, a psalm of David when the Ziphites came and said to Saul, is not David hiding among us? And notice what David says. Save me, O God, by your name. And vindicate me by your power. Have we seen God's power in chapter 26? Yeah, we have. He says in verse 2, hear my prayer, O God, and give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. Eric Liddell, that famous missionary, penned this in in a time of, of deep distress. He said, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and even to wreck God's plans, but God is not helpless among the ruins God's love is working. He comes in and he takes calamity and he uses it victoriously, working out his wonderful plan of love. Listen, church, we will not make it through the wilderness times of life if we are not entrusting our lives to a faithful God, a God who's gone before us, who's going after us, a God who's with us in our journeys. But listen, church family, it's hard for you to entrust your life to a God if you have not yet entrusted your heart to this God. It's hard for us to give everything over like the Bible calls us to do, to lay it all down on the altar, to pick up our cross and to follow a Savior that we don't know. And if you're here today and you're you're hearing the, 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 the words of the Bible and you're hearing the words of my voice and you're saying, I don't know how to entrust my life to God. Well, it starts by offering him your heart, by by, by making the great exchange, by giving him your sin and receiving from him a new life and forgiveness. 
and a brand new heart and a brand new start. And I'll tell you what, it becomes so much easier to give over your today to the Lord when you know that your tomorrow is secure. Number two, David was a man of prayer. We see this in Psalm 54. Probably before he ever approached that enemy camp, he penned Psalm 54 and he said, hear my prayer, O God, be attentive to the words of my lips. And you know what? God responded. So please don't face your trials, don't face anything tomorrow or this evening without first having approached the throne of grace and prayer and having a confidence that God is with you. And then number three, are your eyes on Jesus? Notice the big error he points out in Psalm 54. He says, my enemies have not set God before them. They made the big mistake by not understanding God was the one that's in control. And let me encourage you, church, keep your eyes on him. What's that hymn say? The, the, the things of earth go strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Keep your eyes on Jesus. How do we continue to be successful as a church? How do we continue to, to love and disciple and reach our community? How do we navigate the tough um, culture and the tough world dynamics that we're in today? Quite frankly, we keep our eyes on Jesus, and he tells us where we should go. Let's pray, church family. God, I, I do ask that you would take the words that we've heard today and that, Lord, you would um, bless them. God, as they not come from me, but, Lord, they've come from your word. And I, and I pray, God, that you would um, please uh, help them to find good soil. God, that we wouldn't hear the word and then find that they are quickly washed away or plucked away by the enemy. And God, if there's someone here tonight, this morning rather, that has not yet given their, their heart to you, that they've been holding it back and maybe they've offered it to the world and been scorned. Maybe they've, maybe they've, they've offered it to something else and they've been, they've been discouraged. God, that person that, 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 that person that you love today would offer their heart for the first time to you. And that, God, you would gladly take it and save it and redeem it and make it new. Lord, we thank you for your mighty power that we've seen at work in 1 Samuel 26. And, God, help us to be reminded of that power. That's what we need for our life and godliness today. Lord, I pray that you do a work during this time of invitation. That, Lord, you would help us to have the courage to respond to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.